History and Current Events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4.6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people will turn this around. Proverbs 4.7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all thy getting, get an understanding. Okay, and welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to... Get involved in the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage, and catch the live stream at that location. You can join us at www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash Time for an awakening, and the live stream will be playing there. We're streaming at a bb2me.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com forward slash time for an awakening. They stream out of Ghana. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free radio app. In that TuneIn search engine, just type in time for an awakening. There you'll see the icon, and you can hear the program live, even into your car if you had a Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's time for an awakening radio program with the live stream or the tune in app. Drop us an email at time for an awakening at gmail.com. Again, that's time for an awakening at gmail.com. Time for an awakening also has a fan page on Facebook in the Facebook search engine. You could type in time for an awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button that's time for an awakening radio program with the fan page on facebook and time for an awakening media is also there always full of the latest podcast of the various programs on time for an awakening interesting articles that you can read download at later times and share with your friends also check out that time for an awakening marketplace and our partnership with the bb to me always interesting things in the marketplace all the time uh, various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.08 here in this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening the Sunday, May 21st edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening in conversation, Philadelphia activist, community organizer, and founder of the Black Male Community Council here in Philadelphia, Brother Stanley Crawford, will be with us this evening to discuss a myriad of issues affecting our communities. Uh, It'll be interesting conversation because, believe me, these things are going on in your communities also around the country especially our communities. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. 
Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not where you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. 
the relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening at 713 here in this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum in Philadelphia at 79th Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm looking forward with Brother Crawford to kind of help and update us on what's going on in Philadelphia from his vantage point. I'm doing good. Yeah, you know, Richard, um, <laughs> we we hear a lot of things, and especially after uh, the COVID and the people started coming back out, uh, uh, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Mont Albury was uh, killed, and uh, we see that money was supposed to come into these cities in reference to curbing violence. Philadelphia, Chicago, several cities around this country is off the hook uh, with, uh, with with violence. In fact, this country is violent. But the cities in particular has been uh, swamped by violence. Money was supposed to be coming to these cities and communities. And tax money, did. let me put that in front of it, coming to these cities to help curb violence in the community with programs with people that are people that are out there doing the work and knowing what the problems are and where the money should be allocated uh where those people were supposed to be getting resources to help what they're doing uh the uh american rescue plan that the government put out allocated hundreds of millions of dollars for this uh the Build Back Better plan allocated hundreds of million. In fact, that was a, a $5 billion program. The states and the, and the city municipalities also dedicated monies for this. Let's talk to one of the community organizers here in Philadelphia. And several of them will probably join us in conversation while we're on air tonight about these quote-unquote funds whether they're reaching the community, what's happening with this money that is, that's touted in the media that's supposed to be going to the cities for this problem. Joining us in discussion this evening to talk about it from his perspective is Philadelphia activist, community organizer, and founder of the Black Male Community Council, Brother Stanley Crawford, is with us. Brother Stan, how are you, sir? Brother Richard, how you doing? Thank you for inviting me to talk about this subject this evening. I appreciate it. Well, <laughs> Stan, good to have you with myself and Brother Richard on Time for the Awakening. Brother Stan, listen, you heard me kind of put it in a capsule about the monies that's, that's coming from the federal government along with monies from the state and city that's supposed to be going directly to these communities to deal with this problem that's facing our community. Uh, several activists, and I'm not talking about people to just jump out here uh, because they knew that money was coming to these cities. I'm talking about activists that has a track record, a long history 
of working into in a community such as yourself. Talk about it from your perspective. Is any of these monies reaching the people that really need it and can use it? And if any, well, I, I just like to, go ahead. I just like to give the audience a little con- a context and what brought me into um, the area of struggling with our people with the violence and mayhem. Go ahead, brother. Stan. Uh, my my son was murdered on September the eighth of two thousand and eighteen in the northeast section of the city, the Reinhardt section. And he was thirty five years old, had five children, and I have a large family. And when it was a Saturday morning at about nine o'clock in the morning while he was waiting for his sister, my daughter, and my, my nephew, I mean my grandson, um, my sister, my, my, my daughter's son, waiting for them to answer the door. Someone was waiting to ambush him, shot him in the right temple, right cheek, and in the right che- and in the right chest, and murdered him. And my daughter and my grandson had to come down to the bottom of the step and see my son, his Brother, her brother, and and his and his uncle lying down with a bullet wound in the head. So that brought me into the activistness on this particular level here, because I've been a community activist since I was fourteen years old. But in this particular arena, I've been in here going on five years trying to help redirect our young brothers away from the murder and mayhem that we are experiencing in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, we met for about six months before we even hit the streets with a program that under the Black Male Community Council, which we did cleanups, we did mediation, education, and security. And we're still doing that today. Now, when we talk about this disingenuousness, especially from the Inquirer news article that propped this particular subject matter in the city of Philadelphia, about the money that the city gave, quote-unquote, to grassroots organizations, which was very much misleading and on multiple fronts. And for those who don't know that they don't know, they're propagating something that is not real in reference to what is being uh, propagated over the media in reference to grassroots organizations. I'll give you an example. We did cleanups from Monday, from Monday to Saturday in three different areas, twice a, a, a week in these different areas. We did multiple community rallies and walkthrough, and we haven't gotten a dime, and we still haven't got any of this money. So I'm not here talking about something to, um, to uh, something that we got. I know those individuals that we have collaboration with that is doing boots on the ground work prior to this money that's being discussed has done a yeoman job as a result of, of, of just having a concern for the community here in the black community, specifically in Philadelphia. So when that article came out, it was very disingenuous and it was dishonest. And that's what f- made me feel obligated to get on your show and other shows to talk about the disingenuous, the lying that is being propagated over the media about the grassroots organization that's been doing work prior to the money and doing work even after the money. So that's why I'm here, Richard, to, to, to tell the truth about what I know about what's happening with this quote-unquote um, grassroots grants that was given out. And, it, and I tell you, what, I tell you what, what was very dishonest about them. They first propagated that they put $155 million in anti-violence then they sell the public that they're giving $22 million to grassroots organizations. Then they give $13.5 million 
then they turn around and say, well, how come they didn't do the job with $13.5 million after they gave the illusion to the public that it was putting all this money in anti-violence work? And it, was, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't nearly what they presented to the public. And the news inquirer who did that article, I would say we need to go in front of their house and protest them. That was my, my thing because it was disingenuous and it's harmful to the psyche of the people who doing the work. Brother Stan, you mentioned that. Uh, well, let, let, let me read from this published report first, and then I'll ask my question. Uh, this came from a published report on the WHYY website in December uh, of last year, just before the year turned over. Uh, it says Philly gets $50 million in federal funds to help reduce violence. Uh, the money will fund 100 new forensic technicians and equipment, more millions to the DA's office, and safety for SEPTA. The city, li- the city leaders hope an influx of federal recovery funds will help city become a safer Philadelphia become a safer city. State officials is also sending a total of 50 million to the city. About half of what will be used to expand the city's crime lab which a police commissioner, Daniel Outlaw, said should help investigators solve more cases. These funds will be used to purchase uh, new equipment, new instruments to enhance the infrastructure and hire 120 additional uh, forensic scientists to increase the analytic capability and reduce our turnaround time. State Senator Vincent Hughes says that this is the first round of money to help address violence in the city. The issue is the need to provide resources and to uh, to support our law enforcement community in one area, an area of finding support and ability to prosecute and investigate cases that are brought forward. Hughes said funding for community-level programs should be ready to go shortly after the first of the year and will be used to find jobs and activities for young people and to keep them from being involved in the drug trade. This year's budget, according to Mayor Kenny, included $135 million for law enforcement and $50 million for gun violence investigation and prosecution. He said, in Philadelphia, we are committed to using this new, enormous level of funding for much-needed updates and improvements. So we see here, according to this published report, that $50 million of that American Rescue money came to the city. Uh, another $50 million was put forth by the city of Philadelphia. Over $100 million supposedly came from the state, according to Vincent Hughes. All of these millions, and you said that they claimed that $22 million was supposed to be allocated for community organizations? And of that $22 million, only $13 million is supposedly went to the community. Is that what you're saying, Brother Stan? That is the truth. And, and, and listen, uh, that's, this is what I was talking about. I'm going to call it straight what it is. It's lying on behalf of the politicians. It's lying on the review that came from the inquiry. And it's given a distortion to the citizens of Philadelphia about grassroots organizations that is doing things from the muscle. And again, I had to reiterate, 
the Black Male Community Council did not get any of the money that they're talking about of the $13.5 million. So I'm not here defending anything that we got. I'm just I'm just here clearing up the information so that the, your public in particular will have a clear understanding of the misinformation so they won't be walking around thinking that what they read and what is being told to them is factual. I give you an example. I got. A, I got. I got. I, I, I'm a geek, so I do research, and I did research before I even came on your show. Um, the Philadelphia Police Department, for instance, they have a 788 million dollar budget for this fiscal year. That this, this fiscal year, they got 5,500. Even if they short, they still got 5,500 officers and 300 um, um, civilian workers. Now, here's an institution that take a plan to protect and serve the citizens of Philadelphia that if they have $788 million and they got additional money from what you just talked about, they got a peace force of 5,500 and 300 civilian man peace force and you, the inquiry and the, and, and the public is going to be misdirected that these $13.5 million with these I'll I, I tell you, Brother Elliot, if I add all of the grassroots organizations that did receive some of that money and their personnel, you might have 150 to 200 people. So for the inquiry, anyone to suspect that for $13.5 million and 200 people to do a turnaround at that, at, 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 in one year, and then be raped over the coals for not achieving something that was unachievable, predicated on, on, on a bigger picture of what's going on with the murder and mayhem. That's where the disingenuousness comes in, at, uh, Brother Elliot. And why they did it has to be questioned because if you're going to do something of that nature, you need to tell the whole picture and not just a little small picture to, de- to demigrate the work of the grassroots organizations. Brother Richard, uh, jump in. You know, Brother Stanley, I'm, I'm looking, uh, um, you know, we've been hearing in, in about <clears throat> in this political moment, two, in two terms I'm going to use to get to my question. We've been hearing about public safety and um, gun violence in the black community, right? Um, all of this money that I'm hearing coming in that um, you um, mentioned and Elliot just outlined, all of these from a political perspective from the federal, state, and local is supposed to deal with public safety and gun violence. What, I'm, what I wanted to know from you um, is you gave an indication that, you know, even with using the police force, that the effectiveness, um, how broad is the grassroots community that is actually I think you gave a number, but I just want to be clear. How many community organizations are involved with public safety or gun violence that you're aware of? Okay, if I go by what they who they awarded this thirteen point five million grant money to, I think that was maybe about thirty different organizations, and a percentage of them is not grassroots organizations either. <laughs> when I talk about grassroots organizations, I'm talking about um, Fatherhood Rally Committee. I'm talking about um, um, black men unifying black men. I'm talking about no mo. I'm talking about um, uh, um, Ruben um, um, fatherhood, uh, the fatherhood dads, and I'm talking about organizations like um, uh, um, different organizations like Mothers in Charge and 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 and, 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 and Amir. I'm talking about organizations that I know that when we call put, put a call out, 
These was on the front line dealing with the everyday people who we are trying to meet. So when I look at the total grassroots organization, some of them I didn't mention because I can't go off on my head, but I would say there's a good 20 to 30, maybe 40 good grassroots organizations that don't work that that was that was smeared as a result of what that article did, and I and and and, and, and I'm telling you, I'm 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 on the I'm on I'm on I'm on the ground with the, with, with these brothers and, and with this work, and I'm telling you, the problem that we have, and if you was to ask me, a lack of concern for the black community and lack of humanity when it comes to our people being murdered and shot and wounded. And there's not a a, a, a a governmental process that has a humanity concern about when it's us that's getting killed. If a white person gets killed, they find them in one day. A police officer gets killed, they find them in less than t- uh, 24 hours. If somebody gets shot outside of the black community, there's no there's no excuse why they're not getting caught. But when it's in the black community, if you listen to the news, there's no suspects and no arrests. And and if you if you go into and you look at the data on on, on 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 clearance with murders in particular and and, and wounded uh, victims is dismal. You might have seventeen percent of clearance on shootings, and you got forty three percent on murders. So these people took an oath to protect and serve. And the point that I'm making in particular, why have not an article been done with their lack of uh, of 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 of, uh, of dealing with the situation like it was on a grassroots organization. And I'm here specifically talking about the lack, the, the, the articles that were demeaning the work of the grassroots organization. If you look at the DA office, the, if you look at the police department, you look at the judicial system, why is it that they are not being highlighted and being brought into the equation for their lack of duty and, and responsibility for reducing the violence in the city of Philadelphia? And, and I, I'd like to add this too. I'd like to add this too. What's happening is this. This is the best place if you have a criminal mind to be in today because you got so much that the statistics say you got a better chance of getting away here than maybe in in, 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 in the counties. So when you look at it from that perspective, there's a there's a plethora of, of responsibility, but the bigger responsibility is for those who are getting the bigger bucks and then take an oath to protect and serve, which they're not doing. And what I, what I see is that the money that that was outlined and being when Ellie was defining when you talk about forensic, you know, expanding the forensic unit of the police department or expanding the police. But but I want to go back to this organization, the org, the grassroots organizations that you say are um, the Enquirer article hasn't really um, focused on, and also the the organizations uh, that actually got um, this money. To, to deal with because I want to you you're making a distinction between these two organizations those who are doing it like yourself that are actually doing it out of the their commitment to the community um, in order to curve the pathology that is supposedly the pathology and those who are a part of as I perceive it since they're getting the funding a part of the political interconnection because they they um, well they wrote the right proposal. They rec- they know the right person, and then their organization will get funded. So those types of organizations that got funded, what, how big are those, uh, and what is the difference in their approach 
compared to the community or the 30, 40 community organizations that you spoke of? Okay, well, I, I'm going to give you an example. The Philadelphia Police Department, that's one of my, my, my I guess, one of the sticks in my crawl. They got a additional, this year, they got an additional $58,700,000 added to their budget. That's what they got in reference to this uh, um, uh, initiative for, 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 for violence prevention. Some of these other institutions that, that already have a big budget, that got additional money that's that, that 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 I believe if you ask me if they would have just did a little bit more um 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 if they I'll give you an example I'm, I'm trying to be exact in my thought process is those people in the high in the ivory towers that is making budgetary decisions don't come and talk to people like myself people like um um, um Salam people like um um Dow Schuler and other people to see at the table how can we best utilize this money in the best way to be able to disperse it so it can have a more of a positive effect. Some of these individuals, some of these or, these organizations and departments that got money already had a large budget. Mm. But now you take $155 million and you start giving it to existing organizations that have large budget and you give a spigot to the grassroots organizations mm. and then you you charge the grassroots organization for not doing what the bigger budget and department is getting. And I don't have the statistic to tell you what each one of them got. If I knew that was a question, I probably would have did some research and could spam it off. Do you, do you have an idea of what those, and that's what I'm trying to, what I, I would like for the time for working the audience to recognize the difference between, as you say, those community grassroots organizations that, are being accused for something they haven't done. And those who are actually, and I'm saying community, not police department or what, you know, these agencies, but is there other community or uh, organizations that are getting money that the grassroots uh, organizations are not getting? And so that we can see who they are and evaluate their effectiveness compared to, can we get some ideals of those? Okay, let, I'm going to give you this from some research. You say the anti-violence spending also includes several programs designed to help the city better respond to emergency mental health uh, uh, incidents. There is $6 million to fund the city INSEP triangle and co-responding model, which, ha which would have mental health professionals accomplishing police officers when responding to certain emergency calls 7.2 million, 7.2 million dollars for new behavior health unit or crisis um, hotline. Uh, their their spending program on mental health comes in response to the October da, 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 or twenty. The general budget for the Philadelphia Police Department, and it gives you from it went from seven hundred and twenty-seven million to seven hundred and fifty something million dollars. That's just a few of them. And then the other agents, other departmentals got various amounts of money that I don't have the specifics that you might be looking for, but that's just a general idea of what, 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 where the money was dispersed to other than grassroots organizations. And, and then turning back to you, Elliot, you know, one thing, um, and brother, um, brother Stanley, I seen a, when y'all had a, a new, uh, I guess it was a press conference and talking about the inquiry. Um, you know, article. And one thing that I, I heard, um, I think it was a sister, I didn't catch her name, that, that made reference to 
the process that's required um, in order for community-based organizations to get money. Um, is that process for community-based organization, for all this money that seems to go to agencies and, and already existing organization, is that process difficult for community-based organization? And is it difficult because they don't want to give in your assessment, or is it just difficult because of the way they want to um, – of in deciding who should be allocated, you know, this money that's coming from federal, state, and city. Is that process difficult for communities? Yes, it's very cumbersome. I, I was hoping that um, uh, Shante from Amer was on here because she did an excellent job explaining the process. I can explain some of the process because I'm also a founding member of the, of the Nightstown Community Development Corporation that which did receive some of the funding. And that's another thing that that the public doesn't know. None of that money went directly to the community grassroots organization. Each one of them had their fiduciary process like the uh, UAC. And before you could even get reimbursed, you had to have invoices and you had to show where the money was spent. And it had to be within your budget. You couldn't spend money outside of what your proposal and what was in the budget and was reimbursable money too. It was like you had to spend the money, then you had to submit the invoices, and you would get reimbursed depending on who whatever your who, who your fiduciary was. And also, what they didn't say is this: each one of these programs had a um, a a, a, um, a a person a monitoring the program, the effectiveness of the program, and 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 and, and the utilization of the money. So a lot of the grassroots organizations, I know one of them, and I'm not going to name them because I don't want to put nobody business out of here, but one of them did not accept the money because they didn't believe it was enough money for them to achieve what their purpose, what their proposal was. So it's, it was a it was a process built within the, the structure that allowed the money not to be misused. And, that, and I read some of the article where they were saying about some of the money that was, wasn't spent and why it wasn't spent, because if a grassroots organization did not have a financial wherewithal to be able to be reimbursed, then the money might not have been spent because they didn't have the money to spend on whatever the, pro- the part of the program or proposal that they have. So it was very stringent program, and it was very monitored program. So it wasn't no misuse of the money. It was probably misused, uh, unused money more so than misused money. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Brother Stan, the um, the groups such as yourself that don't depend on uh, money from the city, money from the state, uh, that get brothers to volunteer for ninety nine percent of the things that you're doing. When you see groups that want to access some of this money, uh, got to jump through hoops. Uh, 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 meet with all of these people, uh, 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 yuppies and, and, and white folks that's in their 20s that's making decisions for groups that are out here doing the work. Some of these people that are making these decisions, they don't live in these communities. They have no idea what's driving a lot of this uh, 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 mayhem that you see in the communities. But they're making decisions who can better serve the community what is that based on? Is that based on uh, 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 advice from black politicians? Who, who is doing this? Who's the the wizard behind the curtain so some of this stuff can be pulled back? 
in your estimation? Well, well I, I give you my I, I give you the Black Male Community Council of Philadelphia experience because we did apply for some of this CEG grant money, which we didn't get. I want to make that clear. I'm not here arguing, and I'm not even disturbed that we didn't get it. So that's not none of my 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 reason for being in the, in, in the matterism that I am. What, what was insulting to us, and I, we have a, 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 a Dr. Glover who is our F, FCFO. Me and her was on, did an interview for the potentiality of getting a CD grant for the Black Male Community Council. And I was so insulted, man, that we was in front of two yuppie young white women that wouldn't even spit on one of the brothers down at Tiffin Brown in the Richard Allen home that we was working with. If they was on fire and they was interviewing us and I was hot, man. I was very insulted that you're going to send, uh, listen, you, I'm talking about my son was murdered. I'm talking about being in, in, in right in the hood where, where brother Michael Muhammad was murdered a, a month before this interview or so, man. And you send two young wipey, young, young uh, uh, white girls to interview us about the work we doing in a neighborhood that if I took, if I spin them around and took them down there, they'd be lost my brother. And, and, and I don't know who put the process or who allowed the process to be put in place, but the politicians was dis, distant. I believe they might've did that for whatever reason. They distanced themselves from any input about who they was talking to. And so therefore when they were making decisions, I don't know where they minds or what what barometer they was using to make a decision on who they was going to disperse the thirteen point five million dollars as a grant to do the proposals that were submitted and to submitted to the city. Then they sent us this this generic, polite reasoning why we did not get it, which I I wasn't concerned there. I was just disturbed that you would send you would be insult us and send us that type of caliber of people to be interviewed, to make a determination whether we was going to get some grants to help our people. It was insulting, man. Brother Stan, um, I don't want to shift the gears because, uh, and especially if callers call up and want to ask questions directly dealing with this, but I'm going to throw something else into the mix. You have um, a lot of black politicians here in the city of Philadelphia on council, uh, the state representatives, uh, other positions of quote unquote power that when you hear them and especially the ones that just ran for mayor when you hear their proposals to deal with any of this they're talking about cops uh, 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 stop and frisk uh, constitutional stop and frisk as solutions to what's going on in these communities basically more cops as somebody that's that's out here every day, that's working with men and women, volunteering to go into the communities, to talk with people, to have community cleanups, to talk with the young people. Uh, you, in fact, you just had a function up there at uh, at your place a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of our callers, Brother Joe, told me that he attended. So when, when we see... Uh, My question to you is, in your estimation, what is driving a lot of this violence in the community? 
Now, we, we, we uh, you know, a lot of people say drugs, things of that nature. But to, to the core of it, in your estimation, what is driving a lot of this? Well, I, I think it's multifaceted. I think uh, this is why I believe I, I did vote for that, that question about creating an office to coordinate this effort. Because what I see is uh, is unorganized effort that's being done in silos without no effectiveness. And I, I, I believe that what needs to take place, if you ask me, there has to be a, 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 a organized plan to address the violence, taking nothing off the table, but come up with a plan that has the potential of stopping the murder and mayhem. Like I'll give you an example. We have a, we have a, a portion of, 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 on, on our organization called Family of Unsigned Murders. Un, so many unsigned murders is perpetuating murdering. Then think about it. If, if, if your boy is sitting next to you, you know he just killed two or three people, you get an idea of killing somebody, he's sitting up there, and, 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 and the arrest rate is so low in the city of Philadelphia that you it, it's, it's not a reason not to do it as compared to doing it because your chances of getting caught is slim to nil. That's number one. Number two is there's a, I, I, I ride past the city and I see police officers and, 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 and I cringe every time I see it doing security for those companies that are doing street work. If, if you got a shortage of police officers, why don't you redirect them, redeploy them, and have them deployed in a manner other than what you're doing because what you're doing is not working, the Philadelphia Police Department. Also, there had to be some type of correlation between the community and in any different agencies that is responsible. Because remember, they took oath to protect and serve the black community. When our elders cannot leave the house, man, when our children is getting murdered, our women is getting murdered, I don't take nothing off the table, my brother, because at the end of the day, we have to come up with, a, with something that could curtail the thought of the person who get ready to commit the crime from committing the crime. And I'm not talking about this because my son was killed. I'm not talking about that. Because every time somebody gets murdered, there's a there's a, a residual effect of at least 100 or more people that is emotionally disturbed over each murder. Not only the person that we put in the ground, but those who are left behind. And when you start multiplying that by the numbers of murders, even though I, I got people who, who call me whose sons was paralyzed. Two people heard a couple of weeks ago. Sons were paralyzed, so that's still a residual effect of what we're doing to each other with the with the guns and and, and, and murder man. Also, I think we dropped the ball when C. D. Lewis Tucker was telling us about this thing they call gangster rap. That now went into the drill the drill music that that, that they talk about. So it's multifaceted, man. It's not just one or the other, and it's not being. And, and I tell you. I am not one of those who want to be nancy pansy with these people that is that has the potential of killing and hurting our people, man. We we have to be able to look at this from a realistic perspective and come up with a methodology, number one, to address those those entities that is in our community that is whispering into the ears of our children and giving them the demonic energy to go out and hurt one another. That's one thing. We have to, we the poorest, biggest city in America. We have to deal with the poverty. So it's multifaceted. And one, just looking at one lane and leaving in that one lane, we're going to miss the whole thing. Old folks, our elders used to say, one rotten apple will spoil the whole bunch. We have to look at all the apples and pick the rotten ones out and try to save the bunch. I have to, if you don't mind, Elliot and um, Brother Stanley, I just want to get this, it's two thoughts that come to my mind. 
uh, to, to you in relationship to Elliot's question. Is our community pathological? As a community, all the, all the things that you say of the multifacetedness being true. No, I think, I think, I think, it's pathological. If, if we did, if we, if we did, if we did as a black community uh, analysis with statistics and data, you would see most of us are, uh, 90% of us is, is, is good, straight up human beings and have a human, a human spirit. It's right. the 10% that we have to be able to look at and come up with a methodology because the 10% is making it, making it dangerous for the 90%. Now, I mean, I, I know brothers that take their babies to school. I take my grandson and my granddaughter and my great grandbaby to school. That story ain't being told. People like yourself and others, that story, I could tell you more stories about us as a community that's doing uprightness than those who are doing uh, uh, nefarious things. But again, uh, one rotten apple will spoil the whole bunch. And that's what we have to look at. It's not so much that we as a community, as a black community, no. We are the most healthiest, most humane people on the planet. But my point is we have that element that 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 that, that is that that is has to have some way of, 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 of dealing with them. So those of us who are upright can move about in a safe and and and, 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 and peaceful environment. And, and, and I apologize. But um and with that being said, this 10% looking at this, and we're, we're going to go back to the community organizations and, and the work that they do to try to deal with this, is $300 million from what I, from what you and Brother Elliot laid out as far as the amount of money came from the federal, state, and local going to this effort, and, and we've isolated, say, to this 10% of the community. It, it, to your mind, um, even if it was coordinated effectively, is $300 million enough money to address the challenge? If, it, if it's done in a, in, in a strategical and organized manner, I believe so. Okay. If, it done, if, it done, if it's done with, with, with some strategy, some, 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 some thoughtfulness, and some implementation, and remember, I, I, got, I, got, I got one paper here that I pull aside, even with what we're discussing about the implementation of the money that they had. They didn't talk about the short term, which is uh, one to three years, the medium term, which was five to ten years, and the long term. So even with that money that we're talking about right now, it wasn't instantaneous results that that money was earmarked for. You know, if we didn't get in this situation overnight, how do you expect for uh, less than a year to have something solved that took all this time to build up? You see? So no, I think I think if 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 you if you gave me if you gave me control of three hundred something million dollars and with the proper organization and the proper structure, I believe we could make a big dent in that in in, in, in the problem, a big dent in the problem within a within a reasonable amount of time. And, and Richard, keep in mind, uh, according to the published reports, the over three hundred million came uh, to the city, but. And it was supposed to be for violence prevention, but of mm. the three hundred million, according to Brother Stan, twenty-two million was supposed to be allocated for community organizations, but only thirteen point five million supposedly went to them. So, mm. are you really trying to uh, figure out ways to stop this violence when, out of the three hundred million, only thirteen million goes to community organizations that's doing the work on the ground? And 
over three over three quarters, maybe ninety percent of the money is going back to cops and policing. Right. And, so, and, and departments that already have a budget that's that, that's that's pretty pretty um, 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 extensive. So, I, and I have all this data in front of me, but I would go through it because it gives you a list of what each department received, and some of the departments received some of this three hundred or this hundred and fifty-five million dollars again. So, you took money that was supposed to be put into a process to to do something. I guess to do something different than was but was already being done. But I, I, the, the question that I ask, I think somebody, I think is, is one of the persons that come on word that say when things is going wrong for black people, maybe that's when they want to go right. When things are going right for black people, that's when it's going wrong. I, I forget the name of the person that comes on Solomon that used that as his intro. But the thing is, what we have to ask is black people in the city of Philadelphia, we are 400-something thousand people in the city. It's the disorganization, like Kwame Torre says, we mobilize, but we don't organize. And it's a difference between mobilization and organization. And I think we, as the black community, people like yourself and myself, we have to come together and put an organized methodology together, take it off the shelf, implement it, and make adjustments where we have to make adjustments. Does those community organizations, I mean, those, not those agencies, do they uh, assist in um, pr- preventing um, community organizing to actually occur. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say they prevent. I just say that they don't have a footprint in the area. Like for instance, we was doing work down in um, Tiffin Brown. There was two murders down there, and four murders down there, and we was down there. Then brother Michael Muhammad get murdered, who asked us to come and help down there. But I'm gonna tell you this here: being amongst these young brothers, that the people are painted as this villain. Once you're amongst them, man, they're not unreachable as the as the media and some of us think they are. But what I find out, brother Richard and brother Elliot, most of us don't go and be amongst them to be able to give them the security, the sense that we really care about them. So I say we have to. We the brothers got to come out of our uh, comfort zone, organize. And go in these communities and be amongst them. That we, we do work in Nice Town, Nice Town up and down Wing and Hawkins Street. That's a terrorist spot there. But we did work down there, 19th and Dolphin, 18th and Dolphin. Young brother see me one day. First he see me, I was on. No, I was OG. Then I seen him. Uh, we kept coming down there. He called me on. Then I seen him at Broadway Garage. He ran up to my car and said, "Oh, I got a job." This was a brother that most, that was out there slinging. But I'm saying all this that. All of us, those departmental people who the director and stuff, first of all, they got to be able to have the, the, the ovaries and the balls to get out there and come down on 19th and Wing and Hawk and hang out with us. Come down 17th and Dolphin and hang out with us. Come down 10th and Brown and hang out with us and get to know the people who they're making decisions for, and I think we get some better, better decision-making. You know, before we take a break, uh, I'll go to our break, um, and it's a couple of calls if you want to go to them. Uh, Brother Stan, I want to play a clip for you uh, before we go to our break, and you'll hear voices of people that you're familiar with because you're from Philly. Uh, talking about our, our situation here in this city, but they're talking about it from their solution of stop and frisk. You see that the, the uh, potential 
new potential mayor because she's running against a, a Republican and, and it's a good chance that she's going to be mayor, uh, has come up with an idea, an old idea that's rehashed again about stop and frisk. But she says constitutional stop and frisk. But if you look at stop and frisk, I don't, uh, you know, that's an oxymoron. It, it, it's, it's unconstitutional. But I want you to hear their voices and their solutions for this problem that we're facing. And uh, and I'll, I'll let you comment on it, and then we'll, then we'll go to break and come back and uh, mix some more things into discussion and get people involved. But let me, let me play this uh, for you. I was stopped by police when I was a teenager. I was stopped by police when I was a member of city council. I was stopped by police two years ago, a block and a half from my house. It's 6 p.m. in West Philly, and former Philadelphia Mayor Michael Nutter, who is in his 60s, is driving his Mini Cooper. Suddenly, police lights flash behind him, and he pulls over. Officer said I did something. I didn't think I did it. It's two officers. One comes up on the driver's side. The other's on the on the passenger side. Yeah, you know, driver's license, registration, owner's card. Okay. The officer on the passenger side has a has his flashlight out. And his hand on his weapon. And so, you know, I mean, I've seen this movie before. When a black person gets pulled over by police, you can only hope and pray. They don't ask you to get out of the car and frisk you. Like most black children, I got the talk, too, and was taught to do exactly what Nutter does next. I've got my hands 10 and 2 on the steering wheel. I say, officer, my uh, information is in my wallet. It is in my right back pocket. I'm going to get it for you, but I want you to know what I'm doing. And so in the most exaggerated, slow-motion fashion, I've got to lift my butt up, two fingers, get the wallet, get the information, and give it to the officer. All the while, his partner is on the passenger side with his hand on his weapon. And here's the thing. I I was pretty sure I hadn't actually done anything. Nobody's looking for me. For most black men in Philly, getting stopped by cops is a recurring theme in their lives. Nutter says he was put against a wall and frisked as a teen. For him, the police stops never ended. And I was literally a block and a half from my house where I was a district councilman for 14 and a half years and had served as mayor for eight. And it was like, you know, just another guy. He's right. Any black man, whether you're a former mayor or a felon, can be stopped unjustly by police. Nutter made stop and frisk a centerpiece of his crime-fighting campaign when he ran the city. And as more candidates jump into the 2023 mayor's race and the gun violence continues to soar, the political rhetoric on how to stop the violence has amped up. Ami Von Laddie the director of Temple University's Logan Center for Urban Investigative Reporting. And I'm Sammy Kaola, the gun violence prevention reporter at WHYY. This is Stop and Frisk, Revisit or Resist, a podcast that looks at the push to visibly enforce a controversial policing method by a city whose back is up against the wall. This is Episode 4, Political Will. If somebody's riding erratically down my block, Swerving, please stop them. Please frisk them. Please do what you're supposed to do within the Constitution of the law. If somebody carjacked a car and that car is stolen, 
Please stop them. Please frisk them. That's City Council Member Curtis Jones giving his take on stop and frisk. Keep. Now, Brother Stan, let me let me say something before I let this continue. You heard Michael Nutter, who was former mayor of the city, talk about how he was stopped uh, just recently since he's left the mayor's office. Uh, he was stopped and and uh, and wanting to see his ID and who he was. You just heard uh, 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 the council person saying that if a car is driving erratically down the block, please stop them. If somebody's doing something they ain't supposed to do, please stop them, please frisk them. Now, you're talking about people that are breaking. He's talking about people that are breaking the law. If I'm riding down the block erratically, I could hit children. I could hit an older person crossing the street. They, yeah, certainly you need to be stopped. But the, the practice of stop and frisk was harassing people that wasn't doing anything. You walk down the street, maybe a man by himself, maybe a man with his friend, two young people coming from school. You were stopped and frisked and then sent on your way. That's not what he's addressing. He's giving examples of somebody breaking the law. I just wanted to throw that in before, and, and let me finish it out, then I'll get you to get, kind of give you an overview of what they're saying. Keeping the city and its citizens safe is always a main talking point for politicians. So we want this problem solved in a way that is constitutional, but it is solved. We cannot just not do anything. Politicians are searching for solutions, and they are desperate. Beefing up stop and frisk became a part of the public debate again when City Council President Daryl Clark brought it up over the summer. The question is going to have to be, do we go back to some level of constitutional use of stopping and frisking? People must have reasonable cause. And that's Clark talking about it on Philly's black community radio station, WURD, with host Solomon Jones, who, like some members of the black community, sees how it can work. As long as they have reasonable cause, I'm, I'm cool with it uh, if they have reasonable cause, but I don't want them stopping me. I'm just walking down the street. I'm minding my business. You know what I mean? So, me, bro. I, yeah, you know. Solomon, I am a dark-skinned brother. You are a yeah. dark-skinned brother, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a reality, right? Mm-hmm. You looked at it a little differently. I'm not yep. trying to get stopped for no reason. But mm-hmm. that conversation, Solomon, and I, and I only say this because I hear it from people in the street, mm-hmm. right? Those are the things that we got to talk about, Solomon. We're going to get a handle on this. We have to do something now. Clark and Nutter have both pushed for stop and frisk, even though they know what it's like to be targeted. Stops and frisks were more frequent during the Nutter administration than they are now, but the police department wasn't tracking them at the beginning of Nutter's term. They started logging all the stops in an electronic database after 2014. That was a condition of the 2011 Bailey Agreement, which monitors this method of policing often criticized for targeting black men. Sherelle Parker takes a broader view. So I don't want to sound like a philosopher here. So let me just paraphrase, uh, let me paraphrase Aristotle. Aristotle said the, the poverty is the parent of, of, of crime uh, and violence. Right, and I, I firmly believe it, that, that poverty is the parent of all of this. As mayor, it will be my responsibility to lead from the mayor's office and make the public safety of our city our number one priority. 
Now, let me stop there because she made a comment that and quoted Aristotle, a Greek, uh, quote unquote, philosopher about poverty is the parent to violence. But her number one priority is the safety of the city, which she mentioned bringing back stop and frisk or constitutional stop and frisk. But you just mentioned that poverty is the parent of all of this. And we see that in the city of Philadelphia, which you mentioned, Brother Stan, is the poorest big city in this country. The poverty rate is 28%, maybe higher. It's higher in a lot of, the, of, of our communities. Joblessness is off the hook. A lot of fathers are not in the home for various reasons. So how is the solution more cops and stop and frisk? The real solutions don't want, it seems like to me, Brother Stan, that they don't want to talk about the real solutions. What is it from your perspective? Hearing those voices that you heard, knowing what's going on from your perspective, do you really think that they're honest about what they're saying? Well, I, I think we have to really be able to do a deep dive into all of this that we're talking about, Brother Elliot and Brother Mitch in the audience. I think um, we have to really do what I what I would consider a, uh, a, a, a in depth look at everything, put everything on the table, and let's see what more what would be more practical to try to implement because what we're doing right now is not working. That we we got to be honest with that, and and, and I say this, and I say this. Uh, my son, I give you an example. My son, um, my, my son, uh, I raised my son. He was three years old, and I don't want to throw his mother underneath the bus, but she had some issues. I got him, and I raised him. And I was a businessman, a community activist, retired from the city as a commercial industrial fire inspector, and I was an upright example as far as I'm concerned, representing what a man should be to my son. One thing was missing, Brother Elliot, that I didn't see until after hindsight. I was in competition with a lot of outside entities in reference to directing my son. So when I look and see what's, what's going on with, 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 with the city of Philadelphia, uh, we have to be able to, 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 to take an honest look at everything that's in the toolkit, try some things, and see if it works. Now, what I'm saying is this is I'm not adversarial about stopping fish, and I'm not average, and, 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 and I was a little disturbed with Isaiah Thomas' bill because what happens with some of this stuff that we're talking about, we, we now give the police department a reason not to do something when they could do something that has the potential of stopping something. I'll give you an example of a friend of mine, Zachary Rockman. Both of his sons was murdered. One of his sons was murdered while driving in a car when somebody pulled up against him, shot a guy, shot him in his head, killed him. He had two sons murdered, killed him, drive up to him in a car, shoot him in the head, shoot the other guy. So what I'm saying is some of this stuff that we might be adversarial about, we need to be able to step back and see if what we're doing is giving those who have a, 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 a tendency to do harm to us is giving them a, a lane to move in. 
And I'm the one. No, listen. I, I got pulled over in 1987. I can I still have a misdemeanor on my record because I had a gun. A car get pulled over. It was my gun, so I took the case. But the thing is that they pulled it over and they got the gun. And I don't know if I would have wound up shooting somebody down the line. So I'm not going to be as adversarial and as 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 as, as against something before we find a way to see if it has the potential of saving a life. Because at the end of the day, if it saves one life, it might be worth the risk, worth, worth, worth the challenges. And I, and, and, and I tell you this here, I tell you this, I know from what we're doing with the families of unsigned murders project and our interaction, some of this stuff that is being, being adversarial between the, 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 the DA office and the police department is leaving us more vulnerable than not. I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm not as, as, as adversarial about some of these things as you or some of the audience might be. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to continue the discussion, and you can get involved, too, by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. Our guest, Brother Stanley Crawford, community organizer. We'll be right back. Listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. I transformed a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one of the tangible transformations I've created for entrepreneurs in various industries around the country. If this isn't what you think of when you think of accounting and business consulting, then get ready to take down this invaluable information. Are you an entrepreneur suffering with a stagnating company? Have headache customers, staff, or vendors? Are you rebounding from a loss and need help achieving your unrealized potential? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? Hi, my name is Nataki Kanban. If you're ready to go beyond advising and coaching and get results, then call 301-244-9072. 
Let New Business Solutions recommend and implement the best comprehensive sales, administrative, human resources, accounting, and operations to help you grow into your vision for yourself and your company. Again, from anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072 or pull us up on your device right now and book your free consultation at www.newbusinesssolutions.com. And just mention you heard this special announcement on Time for an Awakening. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. For 12 years, I and others like me have held out radiant promises of progress I had preached to them about my dream. I had lectured to them about the not-too-distant day when they would have freedom all here now. I had urged them to have faith in America and in white society. Their hopes had soared. They were now booing me because they felt that we were unable to deliver on our promises. They were booing because we had urged them to have faith in people who had too often proved to be unfaithful. They were now hostile because they were watching the dream that they had so readily accepted turn into a frustrating nightmare. And so the collision course is set. The desegregation decisions and other type of legislation and Supreme Court decisions depends upon changing the white man's mind. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches uh, us that our own mind has to be changed. We have to change our uh, mind about ourselves. In what way? Well, so he uh, teaches us the importance of moral reformation, uh, a knowledge of self. And, uh, for instance, the average so-called Negro, he doesn't think that he can uh, go into business and provide jobs for himself. And because of this, he thinks that he can only get a job from the white man, or he can only get clothes from the white man, or he can only get food from the white man. And we who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad are taught that uh, the same thing that the white man has done for himself and his kind, uh, if our people could uh, be wrecked, uh, if, if we could be cured of our slave mentality that was uh, indoctrinated into us during slavery, we would realize that just as the white man can do these things for himself and his kind, we can get together in unity and harmony and do the same thing for ourselves and our kind. not wondering at all about them. What I'm concerned with the suffering and the pain of the masses of black people. No one wants to pay reparations. The Jews received over a hundred billion dollars in reparations and gets four billion annually. A Holocaust museum was set up for them on this soil for over two hundred million dollars and they get two twenty-one million annually just for operating expenses. But the Catholic Church, the Pope, the Jews, the Arabs, white people in general, no one wants to pay reparations to these, the sons and daughters of Africa. So I speak to them. I don't speak. I speak to them. I don't speak to the family of those two Jews. There are too, too many of us for me to speak to them.
And one of the reasons why I'm always happy to come to this organization, because you're the only one, you're the only black organization, again, that understands to put race first. Race first. Race first. And I've had some white folks to tell me that I was a flaming militant, a radical, or whatever all of these names were that they called me. And I said that I am very pleased that you've called me a nationalist because you could have said that I was a member of the NAACP of the Urban League. So I said, I'm very pleased of the names that you have given. But I said that because we put race first, something is wrong with us. But everybody else puts their own first because God blessed the child who has his own. And so I think that race first is very important. And though we meet in a different venue, we're not at the slave theater, we're not at the church, we're now at the Masonic Temple, it really does not matter where we are physically. It matters where we are in our minds. And wherever we meet, as long as we know that we're Africans and as long as we know that we're black people living here in America, we know exactly who we are. You notice you can put an Uncle Tom in any venue in the White House, you can even put him in his, he'll still be a Tom. You can put them anywhere you want. Well, it's the same thing with us who are strong people. Wherever we are, we're going to be the people that we need to be. encourage let me just say this before our time winds up and that is I want the people in the audience to go back and look at the video clip from Roots it's entitled something like breaking Kunta Kinte that scene opens with Lauren Green uh, sitting in, who's the plantation master, sitting in his office, and then Fiddler comes in and says, um, uh, we don't want to be too hard on the runaway. Kunta Kinte has just run away and been caught. And um, so the time comes for him to get his lashing. And if you look at this scene, it's about nine minutes, and study the scene, study the role of everybody or bodies that are in this particular clip, and you will find that there is an equivalent role in the political life of our country today, whether it's on the national level or on the local level. There's the black man who actually does the whipping of Kunta Kinte. There's the white man who does the whipping. There's the black man who intervenes with the boss man and tries to save the life of Kunta Kinte. There's Kunta himself, who eventually is forced to admit that his name is Toby. And there's a, there's dozens of bystanders, black, who are watching. 
This, this is a very powerful thing. And it's an analogy of exactly what is happening in our community today. Let's give those characters names in our community and call them what they are and then take care of business about that. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening Sunday edition. It's 821 here in the city of Philadelphia. Our guest this evening in conversation, Philadelphia activist, community organizer, and founder of the Black Male Community Council here in Philly, Brother Stanley Crawford, is with us in discussion this evening, discussing a myriad of issues dealing with our community and stopping the violence, violence prevention, and what we can do as people to organize and help brothers like himself and others. Brother Stan, uh, before I go to some of these calls, let me say something in reference to one of the voices we heard on the collage. Brother Malcolm said that it's a need for moral reformation, uh, ref- reformation among our people and a knowledge of self. Those are some of the things that we need, and especially among our younger people and the older people to teach them that needs to be done in our communities. Almost like a Marshall plan needs to be instituted in our communities. And one other thing, and I, I'm saying this, I don't know how uh, yourself or brother Richard feel in reference to it. I think that what has made a dent in several communities around the country. And it was one example. And I think it was in Washington when Marion Barry uh, asked the Nation of Islam to come in to this community, uh, to a housing project that was off the hook, and went in there and basically cleaned the project up. And he received huge backlash from that mm-hmm. for, for involving the Nation of Islam. Um, the reason I'm saying that, because I went to a community meeting at Mosque Number 12 a couple of years ago. In fact, the captain, I think he was from Boston at the time, came down here to try to uh, assist people in organizing or show them how they did it to organize here. I think one of the solutions or tools that can be utilized in a toolbox is involving the Nation of Islam, which has a track record of changing black people's lives, whether it's male or older males or young men, changing black folks' lives involving them significantly in what's going on in these communities, whether it's involving them in community policing, uh, going into some of these uh, 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 rough, rough areas to be involved with our young people. But it would be a reluctance of black elected officials to even have that on the table. Because when you're talking about the Nation of Islam, uh, to the majority of Europeans, white folks, you're talking about Minister Farrakhan. And they don't want him involved in anything that we're doing. <laughs> Which is weird because uh, 
we're supposed to be a free people, not a colonized people. We can come mm-hmm. up with we can come up with solutions ourselves that can deal with these problems in our community. And one of the solutions is involving on a large scale uh, groups that have a track record of stopping violence and changing behavior. The behavior needs to be changed. It goes to what you said earlier, Brother Stan, about a lot of this uh, uh, filthy music that's in our communities. That a lot of these quote-unquote black folks that are funded by uh, uh, whites who of a certain religious persuasion happen to be Jewish are funding this type of trash. They're not funding that stuff uh, so they can be sung in their neighborhoods, trashing their women, talking about shooting one another with guns. They're funding this stuff, and it's sung in our neighborhoods. Some of these children, young people don't even know how to read, but they know how to say all the the filthy lyrics from those songs. All of this stuff needs to be on the table. All of it. Brother Ellen, can I add to that? Yes. And one thing I realize is this. The person who's being charged, he hasn't been adjudicated yet, um, was charged with killing my son in September of 2018, charged with killing another individual's um, loved one in two, February of 2019, charged with killing another individual's loved ones in March of 2019, and charged with killing another person's loved one in May of 2019. Now, think about this. If if they if they would have did their job and the murder of my son, that three other people he would not have murdered. That's number one. Also, I recognize this, brother, brother, brother Elliot, and I and I, I'm not I'm not being nancy pansy with the person who shot my son in the head. But we got to think about it. When they shooting each other, they're not shooting a brother. They're not shooting a human being. They shooting the N word and all those connotations over them years of what that person is to them. Yes. So when we look at it from that perspective, when he pulled that trigger, he wasn't shooting another brother. He wasn't shooting William or Boy J. Shamir Crawford. He wasn't shooting a human being that he'd been programmed to see his his brother as an N-word and everything that they've been told over the years through that genre they call gangster rap that infused into their spirit of who that person was. So it's easy to kill an N-word, but it's harder to kill a brother or William or Boy J. Crawford uh, 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 human being, and this is the stuff that we don't that that's not being talked about because we give all we give Meek Mills and we give Snoop Dogg and all them other and and and, and Fifty Cent, and for some reason we act like we're afraid to call them out for the damage that they've done to our baby's mind, spirit, and psyche, and they have to be held accountable for that. <laughs> uh, um, Brother Richard asked me a question earlier that I got the answer for. If it's okay, I could give it to him. Go ahead. He asked me about the, the the different entities that got some of this money that they call anti-violence money. $28 million for after-school programs for students at pre-K to 12. $23 million for returning and juvenile justice services. $23 million for efforts to mediate police violence and reform 911 procedures. $22 million for anti-violence community expansion grants. $21 million for economic development and workforce program, $18 million for, pro- for community infrastructure program, $13 million for restorations of free library services, $12 million for 
Forensic and Police Department, $11 million for Gun Violence Intervention Program, $10 million for uh, truancy programming, and $7 million for parental restoration of the parks and recreation budget. That's where the money went to, Brother Richard. Mm. <laughs> That's something to explore in and of itself. <laughs> uh, we, call it, wow. we call it things versus people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, but we can, we'll deal with that later. Let's go to a couple of these calls. Let's go to 215. 215, are you there? I'm going to get the wrenching yeast to millions. Two, 215. Hello? Yes, turn your radio down. Yes. Elliot. Yes. Yeah, this is, this is Boss Coffee. Yes, how you doing? Good, how are you? Great. So I'm down here in Southwest, man, and um, trying to get stuff started at uh, the rec center that I run, 64th and Elm, where it's called Connell Park. So that's uh, uh, Kenyatta Johnson's area, and I've been fighting with him and talking to him, even put my niece on him. She's a council member, uh, Jamie Gauthier, and seems like they just, you know, just want to let this go, you know, but I got a, you know, I got a long history with this, you know, park and running successful basketball leagues. And I, I want to get back out and, you know, save, you know, save, save some lives. You know, um, Southwest Philly is, you know, one of the hot spots in the whole city, you know, so, I'm there, man, at Connell Park, 64th and Elmwood. You know, anybody wants to talk and meet or whatever, uh, LH, you have my, you have my number. L- you mentioned that uh, you had been in contact with um, with uh, one of the elected officials yes. in your neighborhood, Kenyatta Johnson. Uh, yes. I guess about some of this money that's supposedly uh, been coming to the communities to help. And, right. And you, right. Get, where do you get to run around? Yeah, he spins me. Yeah, he spins me. You know, I I even supported him when he was on trial. You know, I'm not asked. You know, the, I think if we can get these kids to come back out the house with with some police protection and and, and do this at, at every park or recreation center, these kids need to come back out and you know enjoy the little things like playing ball or, or whatever. And it's a shame they're not coming out like that. You know, a lot of it is fear. A lot of it is social media. You know, I heard someone talk about poverty. You know, being a black man in in the United States, you know, is rough. Yes. You know, and poverty and not poverty. Elliot, I was walking down the street the other day. This It was three young boys. They looked like they'd be 12, 11. So they got their hands and, you know, in their pocket, you know, you can see the gun print, you know? So he looked at me. I just, I just walked away, man. I said, this, this is what we, we have come to kill or be killed. You know, it's the young brother that had the four homicide. I grew up with his dad. His dad was a killer. He got about five homicides on his, on his uh, belt. 
you know, he's, you know, rest in peace, but man, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on in South West Philly, man. You talking about the one and, that they, you talking about the one that they just caught out there in, in the near Yeah, Street. yeah, that's yeah. Ralph knows his, uh, Ralph knows his dad too. You know, living up trying to live up to his dad's, you know, uh, rap rap or whatever. And 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 you, you know, know what? Uh, that goes to what Brother Stanley was talking about. Now it mentions that that young man. Uh, uh, that escaped from prison that, that was caught out there in, in West Philly had right. It's just potentially four or maybe more homicides accounted to him. Uh, you know, right. that goes to what Brother Stan right. is saying. Evidently, these these small percentage of people, because it's not all of our community. You might right. have ninety percent right. of the community, but maybe five percent. For example, if you mm-hmm. live on a block with sixty homes. You know this. We all grew up in Philadelphia. If you live on a block right. and there's 60 homes there, you might have two or three houses in that block that's off mm-hmm. the hook. It's two or three pla- that's true. two or three homes in the block that spoils the mm-hmm. whole block. So right. This right. type of stuff is not all right. of our community involved in this. Right. But uh, listen, I um, think it's, go ahead. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a lot of black men, man, to come out from the churches, the boss, you know, they, they need help. These kids need help. You know, you see them walking down the street, talking to themselves. I don't know what's going on. You know, and this may sound, this may sound far, but I think that pandemic and giving them young boys that, uh, free money, that, that kind of, you know, they were able to buy guns and cars and all that, you know? So I don't know. And then, you know, they so aggressive, you know, even driving, these young boys are aggressive. I, you know, I don't know. Me personally, I think that pandemic did, you know, something. You know, every, every, everybody's so aggressive. You know, and it's a shame, you know, you can, you know, try to save the, you know, the ones we can. You know, a lot of, a lot of them other young boys like, have, I, have I already bought into, you know, the streets. Okay, I'm going to go out like this. Either kill or be killed. And there's, for what? There's no money involved. Nobody's paying you. You know, at the end of the day, you you just ruined two two families. Brother Stan. Yes. Um, you know what, Brother Ellen? You was hitting it, and I think the brother hit it, and I'm going to try my best uh, as we move in the future, is put a call out. I'll give you an example. I did a call out at Imhotep. 200 brothers came out. That's how we created the Black Male Community Council. Uh, that's after we had, had had put the thing together, but I believe this wholeheartedly that your uh, that listen, and I'm gonna say this, and I'm not throwing nobody underneath the bus, but the church has got a plethora of men in the churches on Sundays. The pastors got to tell their male congregants to get together and work with organizations like myself and other ones. Yes. The, 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 right. the fraternities, right. the fraternities don't come doing, they just did a step show at the, at the man music last night. Listen, you, you, you got, you got males in that fraternity. I don't want to, don't tell me about stepping. Let's get down to Tiffin Brown. Let's go down to 19th and Dolphin. Let's get together and go over um, Forest Avenue. 
Come out of the masjid. Don't tell me about right, making right. a lot, my brother, when you see right. your, your, your your babies being murdered all around you, and you telling me right. about Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, when the Prophet was in the highways and the byways doing work with the people to help redirect the people. So we have enough mills in our community, but we in these edifices, and we sitting back philosophizing and throwing our young brothers underneath the bus instead of coming out in an organized manner. This is what I was talking about earlier, Brother Elliot, the difference between mobilizing and organizing. Don't sit on your mm-hmm. couch and tell me about the Sixers and the Eagles while you watch right. your young brothers kill each other and not spend two hours or hour out on the corner with them. That doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense, man, because at the end of the day, we can touch them young brothers. I'll give you an example, Brother Elliot, and I'm not going to be long with this one. When they killed Brother Michael Muhammad down on at, at Tiffin Brown, we down there on New Year's Eve uh, 2021 giving out food. One of the young brothers came up to me, masked up, bulletproof vest, 9 millimeters, and said, Brother Stanley, we can't keep taking these L's. Only thing I can say to him man, is, is be careful. Don't, you know, don't, I didn't give him a whole lot of mental philosophy, but he knew he could come to me and let me know that he was hurting, man. So we mm. got to come out of these temples. We got to come out of these churches. We got to come out of these Masonic halls. We got to get off the couch. I don't care nothing about the Sixers, the Eagles, when my babies is dying in the street, my brother. <laughs> and we can do Absolutely. that from an organized manner, but the brothers got to recognize that these young brothers need us out there on the corner with them. And once we get out on the corner with them, we'll see they're not as unredirectable as we perceive them to be. I'm 70 years old, my brother, and I'm telling you, I can take you down Tiffin Brown right now, hang out with me, and you see how respectful these young brothers is. So they ain't even about credible messages and all that other stuff. Only thing they want to do is have some brothers like yourself and myself that show that we care about them and then have some resources to help redirect right. them. And that's my experience, man. And this is yeah, where I'll right. right. um, in this in this in this discussion, if y'all don't mind. Because I agree with you, Brother Stanley, but one thing that, as you ended with, the resource part of it, we have a political infrastructure in our communities that are primarily controlled by black people. We have committee people, ward leaders, and council people that have already a organized infrastructure. And then we have people like yourselves who are community organizations. These are people. And my, my contention is, because when we talk about $300 million and we see where these millions, as you laid out, go, those are not being directed into those areas to where those young young males see those young people. And I'm dealing with the political infrastructure because the committee person operates within a certain amount of blocks. You tell me they don't know. You tell me. And they're connected to the persons who have the budget and give the okay for the dollars and cents of where it should go. We have war leaders, and they come out. I mean, they come. They don't come out as if I know. I might be. I might be philosophizing or thinking abstractly, but they ain't coming out in those areas with those community organizations, brother Stanley or uh, the caller represent. They ain't there like that because then they will be able to communicate back to the political infrastructure what is needed and who is there and what they're doing. Are they doing that? It, it, um, I would add also that, as you say, putting everything on the table, 
I would add that element that I don't see when we're talking about taking control over our community, especially providing, as you say, Brother Stanley, the influence to that 10%, that, that percentage of young people who could be able to say, oh, I, I, I know OG. I know, um, you know, Unk Stan. I know uh, here I, I feel pr- I got a job. When that person in that political machinery is that close, they could say, well, we need X amount of resources. And they become the advocate to those budgets so that there is no two female white females from someplace else <laughs> evaluating individuals. In that. I mean, they right there. And it's their people who provide the funding resource. Yeah. So I, I, just, I, I just wanted to add that to the mix. Brother Boss, thanks for your contribution, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Talk to you soon, man. I'll be in touch. Okay. Peace. All right, book. All right, peace. Let's go to 610. 610. 610. 215. 215. Yeah, good, good evening, Brother Elliot. Good evening, oh, Brother Richard. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Stan. How you doing, my good brother? Well, I got signed, Brother Joe. Good to hear you. Uh, like, likewise. Good information tonight, Brother Stan. And, and I mean, just int- very informative show tonight, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. You know, y'all brothers got so much good information going. I want to know where to, where to begin, but let, I, I'll start from this vantage point. You know, see, we as black people, like we call it like an equine, like, like you said, Brother, see, we have to strike a balance when it comes to law enforcement. When it comes to crime, we have to respect that. We, we want to talk about constitutional stop and frisk, stop and frisk period. And as you, and anybody knows me, know I'm no fan of Michael Nutter at all. But when he was mayor, I think during his second term, he made a comment about he's when, when they said about you no know, rights and stuff about black people's rights. He said, "I said I agree with that." He said, "But I have a right not to get shot." which is true also because like the, the previous caller said, when he saw the young brothers, 10, 11, 12 years old, and he could see the gun print in their pocket. I mean, this, 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 no, this is not normal, and it shouldn't be normalized. The brothers walk around for gun, and when, no, feeling though they take their gun is some kind of mechanism that makes them a man or so they got to use that gun. That, that, that's, that should never be normalized in our community. So you have to strike a, a certain balance on, on, on making sure that our rights not trampled upon, but at the same time, you know, Dealing with these brothers that's out here doing crazy stuff and stuff, and you know, if it has to reach law enforcement level, but what we try to do is holistically, like you said, brother Stan, have try to have things in place where these where, where, where we can make law enforcement as minimal involvement as possible, and that goes back to what you're doing, brother Stan, at the center down in North Philadelphia when you showed me, you took me on a tour and showed me all the programs that you got in place that you putting together them are tools like this part of the toolkit they are tools that can definitely help these young brothers and sisters away from a life of crime because we we, we want to get to a point in this city and, and hopefully around the country where it'd be a model where law enforcement's involvement be as minimal as possible you know what i mean and that's what it, that's what it comes down to you can speak these brothers job skills when, and stuff and that's what you were, you were saying to brother elliot about the money when this money comes to community this money should be definitely going to groups like the black community council and other groups that's out here out here doing the work and they should have had to inquire 
out there, you know, you know, putting things out there that's not true, you know, uh, demonizing and just, you know, making untruth, slandering groups that's out here working hard to try to stem the violence. And when Brother Elliot, Brother Stan, brought up about the nation of Islam, Elliot hit the nail on the head. When you see... Now, now, even if you don't like Minister Farrakhan, you can't deny the fact with the work, like like, like Elliot said, the work the Nation of Islam have did in stemming violence. When they cleaned up that Mayfair Mansion project in Washington, D.C., and they was there to get the drug dealers out where, where our elderly, elderly citizens come out and sit on the porch and, and read the paper, listen to the radio, eat their ice cream, the children come out and play to clean all that. That they they drags and stuff out of the community and who and who comes and complain the white Jews and stuff all this Farrakhan environment and stuff like that and I'm saying to myself what the hell would you care whether if, if Adolf Hitler came and helped out and if he got the thing cleaned up why would you care about that but that shows you that they don't care about our community they raised such a stink that they was able to get the nation of Islam out of there and they and they scared the black politicians at the time and what happened the the drug dealers came right back and took over the community again so that shows you how these people don't care about our people man. And when you talk about that, that that filth that they that they refer as gangster rap, prime example, like Elliot said, they wouldn't they're not gonna have that they're not gonna have that stuff in their communities with with calling their women. Like I said, all these rappers like Fifty Cent, like you said, Brother Stan, Fifty Cent, Snoop Dogg, or Meek Mill, they talk all that big yang yang stuff. But if they did say, and I and I've said this right on, on terrestrial radio station, if they even let off their mouth on their records that Jewish B and stuff like that, see how fast they be shut down. They they them niggas would be so shut down so fast they wouldn't be able to so that's filled out their own car, much less in the, on, 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 a, uh, on in the public and stuff. But they know better to say that stuff. But they they have no problem calling their own women the B word and the H word and, and saying they gonna kill it in and all that kind of stuff because they know that plays to these people. But they even dare say about those people who they call the J's. They be shut down so fast to make their head, and they know it too. You know what I mean? So we just started stuff that we deal with this demonic, so that spirit, like you say, brother Stan, that that demonic music getting to these brothers' spirit and study and they. Look at another brother. They only look at him like you said as a brother or a human being. He's the end of them. And so when they shoot, call that trigger. That's all they're saying is ends. You know, that's all they're saying. You know, because like like our great black Muslim psychologist Naeem Akbar said one time, that's the last word that a lot of these brothers heard before they leave this earth. They being called an end. But when their brother pulled the trigger at them, that's all. That's the last word they heard before they leave this earth, man. And, that, and that's a sad, sad commentary, you know. And these are things that have to be dealt with. It can't be swept under the rug. We have to take. We got to take a, a, a full throttle approach to deal with these things on all levels and stuff. You know what I mean? Like you said, brother Stan, everything should possibly be on the table and see how things work and stuff. To be, you know, any every any all the things from the toolkit should be on the table to try to help stem these things, this violence in our communities and stuff. Nothing should be taken off the table necessarily, but everything should be dealt with from a holistic standpoint to try to, you know, deal with these things because we're a community in crisis, man. I mean, any time, like I said, right up the street from me a couple years ago, my brother was right in, going inside a 24-hour store that's ran by Muslims. He and the store, brother, come right up behind him at, at, at around 9.30 at, at nighttime. You know, they got the K-bus and L-bus running right around my way up on the across each other, the cross street, shouting Avenue and Western Street. I'm right behind a brother in a crowded store with the K-bus just was make, turning around the corner. I'm on my steps, and you can hear the boom, boom, boom. Come right behind the brother and assassinate him, shooting right in the back of the head twice. You know they could have had his, they had the brother Janaza at at, um, 
uh, Khadija Autumn is placed on 1900 Park. I mean, just cold, I mean, just do it. And it's so blatant that he shot the brother and the brother fell. He was running down the street for hoodie on. I mean, just blatant. People looking at him. He didn't care. And, and to this day, he hasn't been caught because, like you said, Brother Stan, the law don't care about a young black man being shot. It's for them, there's another black man dead. But had he shot a white boy, I dare say he'd be in custody right now. You know, but they don't care. So this is where up. This is where we at right now. You know, so you know. But I just say, brother Stan, you keep doing what you doing. You know, you got my support, brother, because uh, and I know you got, of course, you know, brother Elliot and brother Richard and, and the Tyson Wicked List audience. For the most part, support what you're doing because we know we got to make some changes. We got to hold these black policies accountable. And you know, you know, everything is, you know, like Malcolm say, you know, everything, you know, by any means necessary because this, this, these things have got to be dealt with. So I just thank our lot for you, brother Stan. That you know, that you, that you, that your spirit stay strong. And like I said, brother Stan, you use your son's tragic death as not to be better. And stuff which you have every right to be, but you use it from a holistic standpoint. You say, "Look, I don't want to see what happened to my son happen to anybody else's son." And, and to me, brother Stan, that's a mark of a, of a, of a great human being to, to take that kind of, you know, for a lot to put that kind of spirit in you to say, "I want to help others so they can avoid what happened to me." And stuff. See, no, no other mom and dad had to go through what you're going through, you know. And, 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 and in closing, the brother that was on before me, like you said, he know the individual, the boy that just got caught, they murdered four people. And like you said, it's the individual that murdered his son killed four people. I mean, this, this is insane, man. I mean, these boys, these brothers walk around here killing people like they think it's some kind of, you know, like they got some kind of license to kill. Man, this, this should never be normalized. It's insane. And these, these things have got to be dealt with, man. I mean, come on, man, you know. But anyway, brother, I, 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 I said I said my piece and stuff, man, and I'll, you know, I'll, you know, put me on mute, brother Elliot, and I'll listen to the rest of the show. But, brother Stan, you keep doing what you're doing, brother. You know, you, you know I'm in your corner 100%, brother. Assalamu alaikum. Well, listen, before you go, you made a comment yes. saying that, um, wait a minute, I, I hear a little echo in the back. Um Okay. You were saying that everything should be on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that the leadership, our leadership, or quote-unquote leadership, believes what you just said, that everything should be on the table? No, no, I don't. I think they do a lot of lip service, but I don't think they believe it in, in their heart, no. Because if they did, they would have they would have done it already, Elliot. That's the that's the way I would look at it and stuff. I think a lot of them say things that they think our people want to hear, but actually putting things into practice is you know. Well, a good example is what you just said earlier about the nation of Islam. If these black leaders in our community, and not only in Philadelphia but the United States, if they really want to help stem the violence, they know what they, they know the track record of the nation of Islam, but they scared to even mention them out their mouth because they scared of the Jewish blowback. We know it's just cut through the chase. They scared of what these white Jews gonna say, so they why they might personally feel as though the nation could make a difference. They're scared to even let that word come out their mouth because they feel as though they're going to get a white Jewish backlash. And I'm saying to myself, what cowardly people is that that you won't let another race of people who have, who have historically been adversarial towards your people's rise and stuff tell you who to deal with and who not to deal with? Because like I tell you, you and Richard all the time, Elliot, and, and the time for we can listen to this, whenever that war criminal come to the United States, Netanyahu, I never see the Jewish community come on WRD and say, is it okay for us to invite Netanyahu to speak before the Congress? They bring that devil over here. They don't ask for they could care less whether you like it or not. They bring him over here. But these Negroes, that's what represent our best anxious, like the Minister Farrakhan said, supposed to be that watch from the wall. They they even scared even Brooks Minister Farrakhan's name and stuff, man. They scared. Look, 
clear, clear example is Cory Booker, who was on the TV tonight on MSNBC, was interviewed by uh, Jen Psaki, who used to be Biden's secretary, uh, press secretary. He on there talking all this stuff about how, you know, I love my enemies, because she was saying, you know, you, you, you voted to impeach Trump twice, but, you know, I still love Donald Trump and all that kind of stuff, you know, because I'm taught as a, as a person to love your enemies. I mean, nobody want to hear all that this cowardly punk stuff, man. But at the same time, he out of his own mouth, he said he would be willing to sit down with Minister Farrakhan. Minister Farrakhan didn't ask for the meeting. He said, I want to sit down with Minister and talk to Minister Farrakhan. But as soon as he got the Jewish blow back, he threw the minister under the bus. And I'm like, saying, well, dude, why you even bring Minister Farrakhan in your mouth if you was that cowardly? He said, I'd never meet with Farrakhan. He's an anti-Semite. Well, you're the one that brought it up. Nobody else did. See, this is the kind of cowardly black leadership that we're dealing with. And again, I, I didn't see, I didn't hear Benjamin, I didn't hear none of no white Jews in America go to Cory Booker and say, Senator Booker, is it okay that we can invite Netanyahu to speak over here to the Congress? They go ahead and do it. But he's so damn scared to even talk to Minister Farrakhan because he's scared he's going to get a uh, blowback from them. I mean, this is what we're dealing with, Elliot. That, that's the harsh reality, man, you know. So, hey, you know. But, Elliot, put me on mute and I'll, I'll listen to the rest of the show. Thanks for your contribution. Uh, you're welcome. Brother Elliot, can I add something to what Brother Joe was saying? Yes, sir. Um, that same location that he mentioned about the person getting shot in the back of his head, uh, I had two young cousins, both of them murdered and one shooting at that location. Um, and 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 um, no. my, this happened about this happened about a year or so ago. I got a, a my my cousin, two sons got murdered in one shooting at that particular location at Chew and Shelton. No. You know, so your brother Sam, what that that business? What is that? What is that? It's a stop and go. It's a stop and go. And then see, right there, right there on the corner, two and shelf. See, but brother Stan, see when you mentioned, and and some of the callers uh, uh, reiterated that everything has to be on the table. See when you when you have. See, all, like you said, this violence is a multifaceted problem. When you have businesses like that, that is in our community, that is not run by us, those businesses are run by Arab, uh, um, uh, Asians and these Latinos are coming in and basically have taken control, or no, they're not taken, been given control of the economy of our communities. They've been given that control by elected officials and by and, and by structures that's a whole different show when we talk about how we are being preyed upon like the lions that go after the wildebeest and find the weakest one of them and they devour them we are being devoured in so many ways just like John Henry Clark said we have no friends and we keep acting like this multi multi um, um, culture thing, this ally and that ally. We have no allies, man, because okay. it demonstrated. It demonstrated the Dominicans came in and they couldn't accidentally take over all the mom and pop stores unless it was orchestrated. Yes, the, the Arabs and the Indians could not take over all the gas stations unless it was orchestrated. Yes, yes. the Chinese. The Chinese got all these. Chinese restaurant, they so belligerent, man. They don't hire nobody, and they put a plexiglass. They don't even want to touch you. Only thing they want to do is pass you whatever you order and get your money. And but none of us talks about that as a, as a, as a collective ethnic group. And I, I'm, I'm gonna say this, brother Elliot. I'm glad that you asked me on this show because 
you didn't put it in my spirit to put another call out. And the call out is going to be for the brothers in these different institutions to come together and let's start working from a security. We don't do nothing else. Let's do security of with and amongst each other. You know, we have a security plan, for instance, around still school, grad school, and around the Windrum um, 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 uh, transportation carter. With the right number of brothers, we could be on post like the nation does. We could be on post with a mixture of all of us from all these different entities that we are connected with and time ourselves up so we have a presence along them carters, man, so our women, children, and elders can at least move back and know we're there. And I'm not talking about being a town watch, and I'm not talking about being a, a citerary for the police department, but just be there that they can see black men on post being on post to make sure that they get from point A to point B. So I'm going to do that, and I'll let you know when I'm going to have this call out because it's time for us to come in and be a part of this, 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 this solution. And we have enough men to do it. It's just a matter of us getting up and putting a process together so we can do that, Brother Elliot. Because it's very important, man, especially when our women, children, and elders, and I, and we have demonstrated this, Brother Elliot, that once they see us in the present, they come out and they greet us, man. They, 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 they're elated to see us there. We were just cleaning up uh, um, um, before the COVID. The elders would come out and thank us, man. The young brothers would ease up to us and say, oh, gee, you got any work for me? when they got away from the brothers. So that that us being present in, in whatever form we could be present in is what we need, that I think would be part of what we're talking about as one of the solutions that won't be dependent on some external forces. I hope that makes sense, Brother Elliot, Brother Richard. It certainly it does. Certainly it does. Uh, Brother Richard. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, as you were raising that, and, um, raising that um, strategy, and I, and I think it's helpful, it brings me um, to an interview, and I just wanted to check in because you are engaged in this. We had, we were dealing with uh, an interview with um, two young men, and they had this uh, act. Um, they call it Philly Truce Act. Uh, are you familiar with it, and and do you have any thoughts you would wish to share about it? Well, Maisie and Steve, when they yes. first came to it, they came to our office, and we had some of our members that actually helped them to, to train their mediators. And I think that's another one of them entities. That's what we're talking about, putting everything on the table that is very valuable, valuable, and we need to be able to help them young brothers to get that into the community. So that's another source of prevention. And I tell you this, a lot of these young brothers don't want to hurt each other, but because they don't have a mediation methodology, once something occurs, they get strapped up because they know if they see the other brother, that they that that, that 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 that's how they deal with each other. We had a mediation that we did. A brother shot a brother before he went to jail. Get out of jail. The uncle and the family asked us to mediate. We mediated them. So they one was afraid that the other one was going to do something to him. We mediated, and to this day, neither one of them is hurting each other. Neither one of them is in jail. So that shows that mediation worked. But we had to have that that app, the Truth app, and that app is a great tool. And I hope we can help them move that and it becomes a tool for the community. Yes, I, I'm very familiar with them. And, 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 and I support them wholeheartedly. And, I, and finally, um, something that uh, you and brother, I heard you and brother Elliot said, and we kind of develop, um, been developing here. We um, or uh, take the position that we, um, the black community of Philadelphia is like a colony. And unfortunately, and, and this is my view on um, brother Stanley, 
um, we have, we're in a neo-colonial position. There's no way that we have so many public and elected black representatives in the political machinery. And as you said, nobody, and these ain't no dumb people, come up to the point that you made that we need to create a comprehensive, unified plan and approach with $30 million or or $300 million being distributed to assist this process, and we are not coordinated with all this political and bureaucratic power we have. I, I recognize when you talk about the stop and goes, the businesses, I can go for that. And, and Elliot has laid out the number of, we only got 3% of, of businesses in our community. So we can't hire, but we do have political organization and infrastructure, judges, councils, police representatives. And it goes all the way to the community level plus community organizers like yourself. And nobody but people like yourself are saying that we need to have some coordinated effort. Something's wrong with that picture, unless it's intentional. Yes. And that's why I say we're in a neo-colonial position. I just wanted to share that. Um, And listen, Ralph, you got the caller that just called. I'm familiar with him. He said he runs direct center over there at at, at, uh, uh, 58th and Chester. I think that's Myers, if I'm not mistaken. That's Myers. That area is is a violent area. It's like several areas. Listen, it's no area that's that's exempt. It's violence going Mm -hmm. on in that area. And Mm -hmm. this... This man can't get help from somebody who he supported. And you heard him say out of his own mouth that his family member is Jamie Galtier. And he can't get help. And he's running a rec center over there where children are there all the time. And it's been violence even in that center or the streets right around that center. And this man can't get the help in what he's doing. That's a problem. Richard, that's a problem. But when people are running for office, they got all these cliches about we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to stop this, we're going to stop that. It needs to be a comprehensive, just like Brother Stan said, these solutions need to be put on the table, come from black people, and the solutions need to come from us. Not, oh, I don't want to bring that solution up. It might offend my white friends, my white allies. <laughs> that, that's what's happening, brother. Saying you know it. Well, Di Henry Clark said it right. Number one, ain't nobody coming to our rescue. Number two, I, I did a paper, and, and I'm gonna invite you and Richard down to our new location. I just want to give a little plug for that man. We have yeah. a, we we had we have uh, we had moved from off of Germantown Avenue to 4352 North American Street. We have an office complex with ten different offices. Two um, two conference room, a multi-purpose room, and we get ready to put a, a, a multimedia center in there in a portion of there. And uh, the, the the reason why I'm inviting you guys, man, because we have we, we've been blessed to be able to move to another level of service. And I'm not doing this to invite you guys for sure, because that's not my thing. I just wanted to see the progress and then how we can work together to be able to bring um, um, some something that we can do 
as black men. And, and the only the reason why I put the onus on us as black men, because we're supposed to be the protectors of our women, children, and elders. And we have to say to ourselves, by not being organized and being disorganized, not only is our young people causing havoc, but those individuals in our community has to be dealt with that is, at the end of the day, they're only looking at us as a, as a cash cow. Yes. And they're walking out of our community with all of our resources. And we have to come up with, we, we, we have to come together and create an organized structure that we take back command of our community. You see, uh, um, we over there on American Street, we're 10 minutes away from the opioid crisis, 10 minutes away from the drugs and the murder and mayhem in the Huntington Park, Nice Town. So we are centrally located at this particular point. And we have a strategy that, that we work in as underneath our umbrella. And we have a coalition where we have a lawyer, we have the school, we have uh, uh, different entities working in our office complex that's working congruently with each other to help those who ever come through our doors for help. But the point that I'm making is organizing our collectiveness, Brother Rich and Brother um, Elliot. We have, the, we have everything we need, I believe to save ourselves, but we just have to stop mobilizing and start organizing it. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Brother Stan, listen, I want to thank you for being with us this evening, man. And uh, before you go, um, just tell tell the people anything you want them to do, uh, at, uh, where you're located, especially people in the area. Uh, even if you take donations from people, just any information you want to give out, go ahead, the floor is yours. Well, right now, I invite anyone that's interested. My, my phone number is 215-275-4015. Again, my phone number is 215-275-4015. And I make a commitment to you, Brother Rich, you, Brother Elliot, and anybody on this on this line. I am going to put a call out for at Mhotep so we can create a – begin this organization with a security – squad and methodology so we can have our women, children, and elders during them times when they're moving around in the community feeling secure because they got a presence of black men in their presence. But we have 4352 North American Street, and I invite anyone to come down and get in where you fit in. <laughs> Brother Stan, thanks for being with us, and I'll be in touch. Thank you. I appreciate this opportunity, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. Thank Peace. you. Peace now. Talk to you. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. host brother elliot and brother richard on time for an awakening media part of the black talk radio network for podcasting or live program scheduling hit them up at time for an awakening at gmail.com
All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. The Digital Plantation, abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global commit to you black family to join your interconnected commit to you black communities. Escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. A new era, a new phase of the struggle, where we have moved from a struggle for decency, which characterized our struggle for 10 or 12 years to a struggle for genuine equality. And this is where we're getting the resistance because there was never any intention uh, to go this far. People were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith for the realization of genuine equality. Do you think white people in this country, and I'm talking about non-segregation, as people devoid or thinking they're devoid of racism. Do you have any idea of what they want the Negro to be in America? I think the vast majority of white Americans uh, will go but so far. It's a kind of installment plan for equality. And uh, they are always looking for an excuse uh, to go but so far. And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. The brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, 
the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America. We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Thank you. Whites are expert game players in their contests to maintain absolute power. One of the time-honored gimmicks is to point to individual blacks who've achieved recognition. But look at Raph Bunch. Think about Lena Horne or Mary Anderson. Look at Jackie Robinson. They made it as one of those who has made it. I would like to be thought of as an inspiration to our young, but I don't want them lied to. Name them for me. The examples of blacks who made it. For virtually everyone you name, I can give you a sordid piece of factual information on how they have been mistreated, humiliated. Not being able to fight back is a form of severe punishment. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to the group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own Emancipation Proclamation. Let anybody take your manhood. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. Uh, Richard? Yes, yes. I'm glad to have uh, Brother Stan on with us to talk about the situation uh, gives a uh, and give us a a realistic point of view of what's mm-hmm. really going on in these communities with the quote unquote and it's not they're not listen Richard that money that they're supposed to be allocating is your me and your and the community's money right so it ain't like they're doing no black people no favor but you can see that a lot of the people that's doing the work are not getting any help. And some men have been creative to work with one another and develop a network where they can help themselves and help one another. Mm. You know, and I, I didn't know it, but uh, it don't surprise me that uh, uh, Brother Steve and Brother Mazzy, who was on with us maybe a couple of months ago with that community yeah. truce at, uh, been working with Brother Stan. He said that right. they came down there and they told him, uh, uh, kind of taught them, some of the people that were working with them about the the uh, intervention and things of that nature. Right. He said he supports them wholeheartedly. So that, that listen, that's what it's going to take. And you remember when they were on, Richard, right. saying that they wanted to try to get some funds to help them and what they were going through. Right. You heard a brother just call up, a brother I'm familiar with, to talk about him running that rec center over there on Chester Avenue 
Well, King says it between Chester and King Sassing and can't get no help with children and all going around, walking around with, with guns. He said three little individuals, little <laughs> young children. He, mm-hmm. he can't get no help. You know, you would think that you would hear just the opposite. All of these people here talking about they getting all the help they need. There's something wrong with that picture, Richard. And you stated it clearly. Hey, when you look at where those dollars are, I mean, three um, three hundred million. And I understand what Brother Sam was saying that you know, even if the time horizon for the resolution for the money is not correct, then it should be um, presented, right? But the point is, this money feeds people. In these, the people who are getting it, um, we have to remember they have um, salaries that they're paying. They have administrators that are getting paid, you know, so they are, so people are eating off of that. But the, how do we evaluate? Do we evaluate by the people who are getting salaries or do we evaluate by using brother Stan, um, you know, um, arbitrary understanding that 10% of the community that is not, um, you know, that needs the support in order to mediate, because out of that 10%, it might be just 2%. You can't, you know, I mean, they, they, they just what they are. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but we need to know that, and we need to be able to buffer the other 98% from them. Yes. Or find a way how they can support the 98% without being destructive to that. That, that just don't come by um, putting more guards on the street or putting more analytical tools, uh, forensic. You're going to expand the forensic lab. Those are technical. That's a technical job. Not only do you expand it, you're going to maintain it. So that person who is doing it, not just the equipment, but the person who's doing it, that's, that's a, that's a high salary job. And that high salary job, they're going to want, that person is going to want to keep that that high salary job is nowhere near where the incidents are occurring. Hmm. So that person who is, has that job is going to be able to live someplace. And one of the places they won't decide because of factors would make sense. They're not going to be moving in that area. So that money that is expanded is going to go someplace else but not to resolving the challenge within the community. But we have to deal with what system. I'm I'm an advocate of what System McKinney said because I'll put myself in that that category. We have to deal with the other 90% that's just sitting on the sidelines and watching. (laughs) Wow. We We can't overlook our complicitness in whether it's the 10 or the 2. We can't overlook by, as brothers, or as the other brother said, people staying in their house and they're making their children stay in their house and they're buying in these games or, or these music. Uh, they're buying in these here uh, machines to which they could be able to be isolated as long as they stay. And therefore, they create no relationship to even learn how to mediate with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Th- th- I mean, it. Richard, the more you talk about this, you can see that this is a, and the Brother Stan was right, it's a multifaceted problem for colonized people. Right. 
And ultimately, we have to ask who benefits mostly from that. Well, we well, the evidence is clear who's been benefiting. You know, the, the, the brother mentioned that he don't he didn't get any help from elected officials who he's been close to. He also mentioned a brother Ralph, who's a caller to the program. Uh, uh, we run the advertisements for RG Electrical Inspectors, which is his business. And he mentioned to me before, and this was years ago, that he wanted to kind of train young people to be electricians and electrical inspectors. And he uh, tried to get some help in that area where the same brother is from that elected official that ended up up going to jail, getting busted for taking money. I forgot his name. Mm -hmm. So he ended up kind of joining in or being involved to a degree with the the host of that morning program here in Philadelphia who Mm -hmm. has a group that's uh, supposedly helping young people. But it's kind of funny that now he's a columnist for the paper that wrote the scathing article, and they mentioned him in the article. Mm. And he works for the paper. So these men that are sincere in what they're doing can't seem to get any help. But you got other people who, to my estimation, are not sincere and just want to get their name out there for other reasons and may come out to what those reasons are, whether it's political or whatever, they just want to get their name out there. They seem to get some of the crumbs, some of the crumbs. Brothers that are trying to do work don't get anything. I agree with Brother Stan that this is, this is going to take a multifaceted approach. It's going to have to be sincere talks. And if the community is the ones doing it and implementing it, that's what's going to have to happen. You know, uh, I was surprised when he mentioned it, Richard. But then I wasn't surprised when we had Dr. Charles Cobb on a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. that wrote the book, This Nonviolent Stuff Will Get You Killed, the organizer that was down there when uh, Fannie Lou Hamer and all, with some of the great organizers that put those schools, the freedom schools, all down here in the Delta. And you heard what he said about the biggest challenge of our young people moving forward. There you go. You heard what he said, Richard. Was going to be that that buffer class, that elected official class. I forgot the exact words he used. Mm -hmm. He said that's going to be the biggest challenge. This man said this as a veteran organizer that have seen our people in different stages of development. And that was his assessment. And I can't argue with it because I didn't do nowhere near. I, 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 I could just look in awe of the accomplishments of this man as an organizer. And if that's what he said, I'm going along with it. That's going to be the biggest challenge. We got to realize that we might not get no help from these people that look like us that are in these positions. We got to operate as if they're not going to give us any help. But it, it goes it goes to, to to the point that you always raise, though, as we identify those challenges. And um, Brother Stan um, recognized he he gave um, real examples of when you're in close proximity, what you get to 
realize in the sense of young people are identifying that you have some sincerity and therefore you have a relationship. And what I'm saying is we have to be able to identify the type of leaders natural to that, to those particular communities and cultivate them with the skills and to recognize that they, their responsibility of representing the interests, not of the party or of the property or of the agency, but of the people and then place them and provide them with the kind of support so that they can get the resources so that they can cultivate more people. That's, that's, that's what the, the challenge is. Cause you see all that money, a lot of that went to things. I know it. <laughs> I know it. You know, and, and, and Dr. Fox said is, you know, and it addicted to white, you know, the, the oppressing league with the oppressor is what that value system of when, when you value things over relationships. Richard, the struggle continues. Before we leave tonight, just want to uh, give the lineup on time for an awakening Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. African perspectives with Brother Hushi. Always interesting topics and dialogues on African perspectives. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, eleven a.m. to one p.m. Later on in the week. Oh uh, boy! Later on in the week, uh, Mississippi on the move. Brother Patrick Lumumba and the. Uh, Leadership down in Mississippi, the program. Uh, Thursdays from 7 to 8 on time for an awakening media. Um, we got some exciting things coming up, too, from down in Mississippi and Brother Patrick and, and, the, and the brothers and sisters down there. But we'll be announcing them soon on the program. You'll be hearing it. On Saturdays, the elders of Sankofa uh, from 7 to 9 on time for an awakening. I uh, forgot on Fridays from 8 until time for an awakening and then on Sundays time for an awakening is back from 7 until I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening lively discussion as always and we'll be back on Friday Lord willing to continue on this path towards an awakening peace peace if you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon Your children playing after school. They seem to be so unaware. I know, I know the things that they'll soon have to take care of. Play.
Children. To save the children. 